Welcome back, MFIT Radio. This is episode nine. I am so glad to be home for a couple days. I had a great weekend in Chicago. I will be doing multiple fit expos around the country. So if you keep in touch on my newsletter, you will know where I will be next. But my next trip is Paleo FX. So if you're in Austin or near the area, come join me for a workout Saturday morning at Picnic. I'm going to be doing a giveaway with Epic and Picnic and it's going to be awesome this, um, partnering up with this badass from Onnit, a kettlebell trainer named Prime Swolger on Instagram. Follow him. He's great. And then we are doing a bunch of talks and workshops Friday, Saturday, Sunday in Austin, Texas at Paleo FX. So come hang out with me. I'd love to meet you and do some MPAC workouts. Today's podcast is with Ellie Short and Ellie and I met at the NTA conference earlier this year and she's great. She works a lot with her clients on mindful eating and just kind of, um, you know, the emotional aspect that comes with food and how to be aware of what we're eating and when we're eating it and why we're eating it. And I think you guys are really going to enjoy this. (laughs) MFIT Radio. Right, this is a new episode. I think I'm gonna call I we can decide Ellie at the end, but I think this is a be more podcast because we have a lot of be more topics to address. I'm so excited that you can join me today. I'm excited to be here. So tell um we actually met at NTA, so at the conference that was recently in Vancouver, Washington, because you are you went through NTA, the Nutritional Therapy Association, correct? I did. I think we actually graduated around the same time. Uh, and what city were you at um, for your school? I was in Seattle. Oh, man. And you had John Jenis as well. I did. And you guys, if you have listened to episode two with John Jenis, he was my instructor. And I just, oh my God, he's just the best. Totally the best. <laughs> um, oh, he really, really is. <laughs> uh, what kind of, what made you want to be a, you're an NTP, correct? Yes. So I guess I should, should explain that. So NTA, Nutritional Therapy Association, they have two branches you can do. Um, one is a consultant and one is a practitioner. So the difference between a C and a P. And we are both practitioners. What kind of brought you to be, or at least want to be a pr- practitioner? Well, like I'm sure so many people with the NTA narrative, it was a progression of events. I um, used to be in journalism. I was primarily a gastronomic journalist, so a food writer. Um, I did a lot of broadcasting as well. Um, always had a love and interest for food. I actually even did a culinary program after my broadcasting training. But um, part of the problem was, I well, I loved food. I was not loving my body. And over the, the course of my journalistic career, I was really running myself to the ground. So I decided to take a bit of a leave and do some soul searching and healing. And um, I hit a lot of dead ends when I was speaking to various um, specialists and maybe people more of the allopathic sphere and decided to kind of become my own wellness advocate and educate myself. I'm, I'm pretty lucky in that um, my brother is a naturopath. Um, my parents, my dad's a physician, my mom's a nurse, my other brother's yeah. a psychiatrist. So I have a, a whole team of wellness advisors, but they were also encouraging of me to kind of, um, 
uh, follow my own path. Um, and my brother actually was the one that recommended the NTA program. Um, his practice is based in Seattle. And uh, naturally, there's a, a, a lot of love for NTA in Washington and throughout the States. Um, I'm Canadian, I should say. So um, it was a little bit more um, unknown to me that there's a lot of holistic nutrition programs in Canada. But even when I was looking at the curriculum and reading reviews, I was so much more drawn to NTA than anything offered in my own country. Um, and, and similar to you in that it was, you know, it was a thoughtful decision, but I kind of just went for it. Like I was looking at it and I just called them, asked some questions, signed up for it right away. I think it was June and the course started in September, which for me and my personality was a pretty hasty decision. Um, and like so many people that have gone through the program program, it was incredibly life-changing. Um, and, and now my new career. Yeah. And so you are, what part of Canada are you in? I'm in British Columbia. I live in a city called Victoria and it's on an island just um, off the West Coast. It's actually uh, below the 49th parallel, strangely enough. So we're very, very close to Seattle. That sounds so, I want to live on an island off of Canada. That sounds amazing. <laughs> it's, it really is. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> That's really cool. Well, can I ask him, and you know, you can divulge as much as you want, but when you say like your own journey to wellness, which I love, but that was the whole concept of be your own superhero. I was like so sick of people trying to, you know, you look at somebody and you're like, God, I want that. Or I pull up a picture um, you know, the motivation and the inspiration is coming from this other persona. And I was so sick of that. I was like, no, I want to be me, but better. And so like be, you know, be your own advocate, find your own wellness through your own, the tools that you're provided, whether it's education or the school. But like for you, what got you to that point was like when you felt not well, what were those symptoms for you? Was it stress from school? Was it just the chaos of journalism? Was there anything specific that you can remember where I, you know, just trying to think like something's off? What were those signs for you? Well, I definitely have always been, um, a go, go, go kind of person, um, hovering in that sympathetic sphere constantly. Mm -hmm. Um, and I went like, you know, I was definitely, you know, high achiever in high school, then university, I did an undergrad, and then I went straight into journalism and then straight into culinary program and never really took a breath. And I knew my gut was telling me, even when I was in my journalism program, that it wasn't the right vocation for me. Um, I remember one of our, um, our guest lectures in one of our courses one day, um, it was a woman and she was talking about how she was basically, I don't know why they even invited her. She's kind of trying to turn us off the industry. She's like, you, this is a man's club. You're going to get incredibly disrespected. If you want to have a family, there's absolutely no way you're going to be able to do that. Oh. And I just kept hearing this narrative of, of self-destruction. And so I already knew going into it that it was going to be a challenge, but I wanted to give it a go because that was my personality. Mm-hmm. And it was just that. I mean, it was a very competitive and catty environment and morally compromising. There was a, a lot of times I was given an assignment that really tore me up inside. So there was that kind of emotional stress, but also extraordinarily demanding schedule, uh, crazy hours, not great sleep, eating on the road a lot, <laughs> eating terrible yeah. foods. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and so what happened is I just started getting increasingly fatigued and um, incredibly emotionally um, volatile. I mean, I would cry for no reason and I would have a hard time. This is crazy. 
like even thinking right now, but I remember there were points where like getting up from a chair felt like the biggest task in the Mm. world. And even just like writing, like my hands became really weak. Um, and of course, uh, as I mentioned, my father being a physician and a specialist sent me to every specialist in the world, did every test in the world. And they were all like, no, nothing's wrong with you. You just need to take it easy. And I couldn't hear that one more time. Yeah. But, uh, then I started exploring different kind of, um, theories and philosophies around kind of those symptoms. And of course, got led to concepts of, um, adrenal exhaustion and realized that my poor little adrenal glands were fried. (laughs) (laughs) Poor little things. They do so much for us. (laughs) I know. Um, know. So you, for you, I mean, with your adrenal, I, hopefully people have listened to me and if they haven't, so adrenals are, are stress organ and they just do so much for helping us respond to stress and we tend to just overuse them. So for you, what was your fate? You know, we probably, you probably went through quite a protocol to kind of heal, but do you have something that you love to do with your clients or something that was really significant for you? I know we can't, it's hard to just do one thing, I think, but, (laughs) um, for you in your journey, what was something that really stuck out? Well, the, the concepts of changing how you're eating as well as what you're eating were really big and, and trying to find more of those parasympathetic or calm and relaxed moments, um, coupled with the exhaustion and, and the kind of emotional um, symptoms I had, I, for the longest time had incredibly, um, <laughs> challenging digestive issues and I had totally normalized it. You know, I had been labeled IBS and all those very problematic, uh, problematic terms that I cringe at now because I recognize that this is not the kiss of death and we do have, you know, choices in how we can heal our bodies. Um, but you know, the chronic sinus infections and the, um, digestive issues that are so coupled with, um, with that adrenal sympathetic eating. Yeah, exactly. Adrenal stress and, and how it's connected to, um, your, your digestion. So simultaneously finding more, um, ways to be calm and relaxed and to regenerate, um, and repair my body, but also really paying attention to my digestive health. Um, really paying attention to it though. Like not just saying, Oh, I'm going to cut out gluten or I'm going to cut out dairy. Um, I think that's a really great step for a lot of people at the beginning, but you know, like I said, and and you've talked about before on, on your, on your show is changing how you're eating as much as what you're eating, um, is so vital. It's so true. I think so many people underestimate like you know, it's so easy to look at the the symptoms of whether it's your thyroid or your fatigue and just see it as, oh, this is my adrenals. My adrenals are messed up. But then it's like these, most of us always have this un, underlying theme of we, we were diagnosed with IBS and we had chronic digestive stress. And there's just so much stress that comes from just not digesting your food or dealing with those things that we just have lived with that coupled with then journalism or the, you know, the media and the kind of like go, go, go mentality that you were in. That's when the adrenals start to like say, no, I can't do this too. So we, we can handle so much, but I think digestive stress can always be a huge root cause. I think for a majority of clients. Totally. I often think to myself that, you know, I don't actually think that my schedule, my circumstances in my journalistic career were that insane. I think that I had laid the groundwork of a body that just couldn't handle it from years and years of digestive stress and, and probably um, immune imbalances and all sorts of things that are connected 
um, with everything we're talking about. So I, I really feel like, I mean, I, I think once, um, actually in one of John's lectures, he talked about, you know, your cortisol glasses and when your body's out of balance, the world, just everything is more stressful or everything is more, um, challenging. And I think that, you know, there was a lot of lead up to the, the issues that I faced in my journalistic career. I think that, um, yes, it was a, a compromising environment, but I think that I definitely did a lot of damage before that. Yeah, for sure. I, I love it's true with John. He, it was so crazy because I was going through some severe adrenal fatigue when I was in school. So in through NTA. And I remember I'm not an emotional person for the most part, like outside of some, some stuff when I have my have my period of a little bit of extra crying that I'm not sure where it's coming from. I don't cry. And I was in the middle of my midterm at NTA and I just had like a total meltdown, like went outside bawling. And that's, and he came up, he's like, we need to check your adrenals. (laughs) (laughs) There's something because it's true. When your adrenals are in stress, you're everything, you're more, you're hypersensitive to things. You're more likely to, you'll be driving in traffic and you'll just snap. And I see this with clients all the time. They're like, yes, everything makes me emotional. It's like our tolerance for these triggers that shouldn't cause a big ordeal. They do when our adrenals are in stress. It's so true. (laughs) <laughs> Absolutely. And that's actually a really incredible testament to um, the people that are drawn to this this fear in the NTA and also just in kind of um, holistic wellness. I feel like if that was a different academic environment, they would have given you hell for <laughs> in the middle of your midterm instead of being like, hey, what's going on? That's really amazing. And I also found um, immediately this incredibly supportive system of of like-minded tribe members when I, when I ventured into this, this world. For sure. And I, you know, I wish I had more to say about other schools, you know, like what is right for the best, you know, what, I guess I just, I was kind of like you, I just jumped in because it was online and I was able to fit it in my schedule. So I hope, I know there's other things in in person if people do better learning that way, but for sure, this is, um, it's fun that it's brought together, you know, people like us. Cause we were, we were actually sitting there and this is what I wanted to talk about a little bit because that's how we ended up having a conversation. We were talking about high intensity exercise and how it tied into adrenals. And I think for you, you, you previously did some CrossFit or some high intense workouts, but then kind of took a step back and looked at what it was doing to your body. And you decided that it really wasn't for you. Um, do I, do I remember that correctly? Yes. And I still like, <laughs> I still like kick myself for having that conversation with you. I was like, let me tell you. No, 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 really, no. I love it. I really I, have this authoritative tone that now I'm like so bashful about. No, no, no. I think it was great. Cause I just wanted to like meet as many people <laughs> as possible. So I, I loved your perspective and I want you to kind of share a little bit of what your, your story is with that. Cause I do think, you know, a lot of my clients, of course, we love CrossFit, but there's such a huge, huge audience that it's just not for them. And I want them to know that that's okay. (laughs) Part of the problem is I really do love it. Like I love pushing my body. I love feeling (laughs) extreme physical fatigue after a workout. I love goal oriented, um, movement and physical activity. Um, I, we know when I was younger, I, um, competed at high level sports and I was a dancer, like a lot of kind of just like push, push, push mentality. 
Um, and, and really I, I've, I've always been somebody that works out because I love it, not because it had any other, um, you know, purpose for me. Uh, but part of the problem was because of that mentality and, and really pushing your body to the extreme. I did just that. I pushed my body to the extreme and, um, I was doing, I was trying to accomplish a lot of other healing at the time. Um, I hope this isn't too much information for your listeners, but I had decided to go off, um, oral contraceptive and was having a really hard time, um, balancing and regulating my body afterwards. Um, never, by the way, never too much information. We like to, they like to hear all the, all the details. So it's good. (laughs) And I do not mind sharing. (laughs) Was it mainly Uh, your progesterone? Was it just having a hard time with your progesterone balancing back up on its own? I think so. I have been on oral contraception for about 10, 12 years. It was a really long time. And I went on it um, in my mid-teens when you know, your body is already going through so many changes. So I basically yeah. stunted my um, reproductive uh, development yeah. uh, for a decade. And I think my body just had a really hard time figuring out how to ovulate and figuring out how to have its own hormone production without that um, external information from the pills. So um, I immediately gained a bunch of weight, even though I was working out like crazy, even though, as I'm sure we all know that sometimes working out like crazy doesn't always have an effect on mm-hmm. weight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> my skin broke out. Um, I, and I, like I said, I, I lost what had been what I thought was a menstrual cycle, even though you don't really um, have one when you're on the pill. Um, so I was still working out really hard. And I think that was further imbalancing my hormones. So I had to take a serious step and say, what's more important goal for me right now to balance my body and then maybe ease back into it or to keep with the routine that I was very comfortable with and the lifestyle I was very comfortable with. And I really feel like some of the hardest training an athlete will ever do is, and not that I'm calling myself an athlete by any means, but I work with a lot of athletes and I think some of the hardest training they do is the training to not train. And it's mentally some of the hardest hardest activity you can accomplish. So, um, I toned it back and I found yoga, which that's what I was a little <laughs> preachy about. <laughs> I was like, I love yoga. Um, and <laughs> I just decided to try to experiment with lower, um, impact activities and my body started balancing and it was amazing. And, and recently I started returning to more higher intensity, um, exercise. I mean, like I said, I love banging kettlebells around and, and really, grunting away but it's crazy actually that we're talking about it right now I overdid it last couple weeks and I have to take this like I have done nothing this week but walking which is painful for me but my body just wasn't ready and I injured myself possibly because of maybe some cortisol (laughs) yeah (laughs) so for you what you're you know I think it's you're really in tune with your body. You've been able to go on this journey with your body. So you can tell very easily, okay, I went too much, but for somebody that's not quite there, like how do, what did you, what do you listen for? What are the signs that say outside of injury? So injury cortisol might be a little too high and we're in a catabolic state. We're breaking down things quicker and our body is just like on total survival mode. But outside of injury, what's some signs that you see when you're like, oh, I overdid it. I would, my listeners would love to to know that. The first thing I always try to emphasize with my clients, and of course when I'm looking inward towards my own wellness goals, is mood and energetic shifts. Mm-hmm. I think those are some of the 
the most primal and important um, markers that we have for for our health and wellness. So when you're experiencing um, fatigue, when you're experiencing those those um, you know emotional uh, outbreaks that you highlighted in your story, I think those are really important markers that we really need to watch out for. I'm a big believer that for the most part, we should have um, even mood and energy throughout the day. Mm. I think that we should wake up with a sense of excitement and vitality for the day ahead. And I think we should go to bed with a sense of calm, um, but not extreme exhaustion. Like you just cannot wait to crawl into your bed. Um, I've never been a big napper, so maybe it's a little biased. But I think that when people feel like they have to, have to, have to crash in the middle of the day, it's just another sign that there's something awry and maybe their body just isn't functioning optimally. Oh, for for sure. Yeah. I hate naps. I hate them. And I think I I agree that, you know, maybe it's just because we don't do them, but I I think people get accustomed to them um, and it's so easy to just accept that you need a nap. And I just refuse to believe that that's evolutionarily necessary. Like, I don't think that it's always a symptom of a cortisol crash or a, you know, sometimes like a induced food coma, whether it's like you ate a food allergy and now you're having like a allergic reaction and it's coming off as exhaustion or also just insulin resistance. Potentially, if you get really fatigued after you eat, those are always something, it's always a sign for me when you get tired throughout the day there's something going on much deeper than that. So I'm glad you said that. Great point. Absolutely. I think that we really um, normalize and even celebrate certain terms like, you know, and, and I know that you're, you're a coffee lover and, you know, <laughs> Lord help me. It's the most delicious thing in the world. But I've had to remove coffee from a, a regular rotation in my diet. And I've had a lot of benefits from that personally. Um, but we really, you know, you know, people have little t-shirts and mugs about how they're a coffee addict. They're actually using the word addict, which I think is, is, uh, <laughs> is accurate. Yeah. And how they're like addicted to naps and addicted to coffee and they love their stimulants and they love crashing. And like, there's all this really kind of celebratory language surrounding, um, what in my mind are just signs that the body's out of balance. And so I, I try to work with people on shifting that mentality that, you know, Hey, our bodies are cool and complex and sometimes we crash and sometimes we're buzzed, but let's try to find a place of balance and celebrate that instead of celebrating the extremes um, and almost wearing it as a badge of honor, which I find problematic. Oh, it totally is. You know, when I, you know, I'm big and I'm actually kind of not as, CrossFit culty as I used to be because of all these issues that I keep seeing with CrossFitters. But I, you know, obviously I love it, but it's like this meant the whole, I have to have caffeine six times a day and, and a pre-workout. And then I'm going to, Oh God, and take a nap and then do it all over again. And you're so right. The, The language and the celebration behind terrible energy patterns is like the most, from a practitioner point of view, I, it's the most frustrating thing that I see with CrossFitters mentality. Totally. <sighs> totally. Um, it's, uh, it's a hard, it's a hard nut to crack for sure. For sure. So you, so just to kind of emphasize, like you actually saw your body change, the less high intensity kind of put your body through the ringer things you saw or things right. you did. Wow. Yeah. The um, specifics. Well, while we're sharing, um, <laughs> my skin cleared up. 
um, my, my menstrual cycle came back and I know that like people are probably like, what is this crazy person talking about? But you know, as a young female, that's actually a really big marker of systemic balance yeah. and it is something to celebrate. Um, you know, and, and by no means if I, am I placing any judgment or negativity towards somebody that's having issues with that, but it's something to look at and say, Hey, why am I not having regular menstrual cycles or what, you know, I always say this to my clients and in workshops, I do that instead of getting angry at symptoms, we actually should look at them as, as something to really, um, really not enjoy. That's a terrible word, but pay attention to, it's a beautiful thing that our body has this ability to communicate with us. Mm -hmm. Um, our brains are often so switched off from our bodies and this is our bodies trying to communicate back with our brains and saying, Hey, this is, this is like a, you know, a, acne, that's inflammation, that's, you know, a breakdown of tissue or an immune response Mm -hmm. or the loss of your menstrual cycle. Or, um, I work with a lot of young couples trying to conceive, you know, when they get very frustrated when they're having infertility issues, I say, this is your body just telling you, this is a protective mechanism. It's just trying to tell you that it doesn't feel that it's healthy enough right now to carry a life to term and then raise that life. And it's a really hard thing to talk to people about, I know, but when we can start looking at our symptoms as information as opposed to something pesky that we want to suppress with, you know, caffeine or with um, drugs or and prescription drugs, you know, that, that I think is a really great opening into becoming your wellness advocate and learning how to have that conversation with yourself. Oh man, that was well said, Ellie. Well, I love that. It's just biofeedback from our body. And so cell, it's true. It's almost... We always look at it. It's totally how you look at things, by the way. Like when you are feeling sick and you keep thinking like, I feel sick, I feel tired, I feel exhausted. Paul, in one of my podcasts, he said, I'm not tired. I'm learning how to say, instead of I'm exhausted, I'm learning how to say I'm processing. And just that shift in your mentality of how you look at things can completely be the determining factor of if you get better or if you don't. And so many people get stuck in that. I am sick and I have this problem and I have this issue and there's a totally, there should be like an allowance for when you can have that moment. Like you should totally be able to have five minutes or even a day to like kind of mourn and kind of be like, woe is me. I'm Eeyore. But then it's, you've got to get out of that cycle because I see so many clients get stuck in that cycle and then they're perpetuating their own illness. Absolutely. I, and I think that's a really great point you made that yes, of course, feel what you need to feel, but then also know that you have this incredible autonomy and this incredible um, path of choice in your life. I I am constantly trying to emphasize to people that everything we, for the most part, people living in North America have this beautiful wealth of choice. We choose what we put in our body and we choose what we put our bodies through. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when we shift that mentality, once again, from, you know, especially when people are, are making big changes in their lives, whether it's cutting out foods um, that are not serving them or introducing things into their life that were previously out of their routine, I remind them that this is a choice they've made and they're choosing health over disease and they're choosing vitality over dysfunction. And when we, when we embrace that, when we embrace that autonomy, um, it really, the color of the world changes and it really becomes um, very, very invigorating. However, it's scary because we and our in our um, health pattern, especially in North America, we have this system of um, 
kind of pushing our responsibility onto other people. You know, we go to a doctor, they tell us what to do. We take those pills. Um, we don't feel like we have a lot of control over our healing process. And I think for a lot of people, that's very comforting because if things don't go right, then, well, you know, it's not my fault. That prescription didn't work or that doctor didn't know what he or she was talking about. So, you know, it's, it's a beautiful and amazing practice to take that, you know, control and perspective over your, your body again. But it's also, it's a, it's a big task. We are given these incredible bodies. Um, but it is, it is no small task to take care of them. Yeah. But it, it, it gets easier. The more you practice it, the more you look inwards, the more you practice kind of general mindfulness. Um, you know, like all practice things, practice makes perfect. It gets easier and easier over time. And that intuitive, um, conversation you have with yourself definitely, definitely improves. Oh, I love that. So, and it's true too, because I've seen it more times than not, you know, especially with going to the doctor and getting the pills and then like putting the blame on something else, but especially a little bit more probably relevant to my audience. It's so easy to be like, Oh, this, this meal plan or this macro split wasn't right for me. So that's what was, went wrong. And then moving on to the next and kind of bouncing from diet to diet and plan to plan, which is so easy to do because there's a million out there and a thousand things out there. So I always try to get people to trust the process, at least just focusing on balancing your body and your you know, feeling energized throughout the day and feeling well throughout the day. Cause that's when the other things happen more naturally instead of those kind of crash and burn diets where you might see results. And then all of a sudden it comes back anyway. Absolutely. And I think that when you are given an initial protocol, um, you know, based on the recommendations of someone like yourself, that is incredibly knowledgeable. Um, that's a really, really great starting point. And that might work really well for you. Um, but it might require a little bit of tweaking. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that courage to say to yourself, all right, this wasn't maybe right for me. And that's not because this is wrong. It's because I just need to do a couple more layers of work to figure out the right balance. And, and, um, in line with what you were saying, as we start feeling better too, things start unfolding more naturally. We start being more in touch with our bodies. Um, it's, it's, it's cyclical, right? Like you, your, your eyes open, you are more in tune with, with the feedback your body's giving you when we are constantly overburdened with stress, um, with, um, disease, with all the issues that we face toxicity. Oh my goodness. That's a big one that we face day to day. It really clouds our ability to read our body and trust, trust our innate intelligence. Yeah. I, I agree with that with you. And I think it's so good what you said. There always is some tweaking. Um, it just made me want, want to ask you a little bit about how, you know, obviously within TA and just knowing that, that that's what you do as an NTP. I know that you eat real food and all that jazz, but do you have, um, you know, as someone that struggled with adrenal issues and some hormone balancing, have you found somewhat of a macro balance that works for you? Is there something of very specific way you eat? Do you look at calories? Do you look at macros or do you just kind of eat to satiation and listen to your body? Have you been able to learn that process? I think that process is, <laughs> it's an ongoing learning experience. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not a big fan of numbers and counting. Um, I'll kind of keep that in the back of my mind as a practitioner when I'm looking at what my clients are, are eating when I'm helping them construct kind of healthy um, eating patterns and meals. Um, but because it, for me, it always comes back to stress, 
stress, stress, stress. I've often found, at least with some of the people that I've worked with, um, especially the athletes actually that have had such a kind of a hyper-focused, almost restrictive relationship with food for so long that constantly um, reducing their food to numbers Mm -hmm. um, is in and of itself a stressful activity. Um, So because, you know, my big thing I preach is is mindfulness and intuitive eating, um, we try to focus more on exactly what you're saying, what feels right for your body. And that takes time to figure out. I mean, to be honest, and I don't usually like saying black or white things, but I do <laughs> find that the majority of people have greater um, experiences with energy and mood and um, physical output when they really reduce the amount of carbs in their diet. And by no means am I going to sit here and advocate um, you know, a specific dietary philosophy, but um, from my experience, There are a lot of people that are eating just way too much sugar for their body to handle, and that's really clouding their mental capacity, their physical capacity, and their ability to connect their mind and their body together. Yeah. Oh, God, that's a great, great way of saying it. It's so – and it's not just – you know, I think obviously we know the sugar is like the the cookies and the candies and the pastas – like the white pastas, but so many foods that we eat at the end of the day are broken down to glucose, fructose, or sucrose. And so n- looking at the ingredients and the the carbohydrate content, even for healthy foods, like fruits, I, have you noticed it's really hard for people to cut fruits when they first um, switch? What are your thoughts on fruits? I think this is well, my biggest thing is... Yeah, totally. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I mean, it's such a, it's such a dogmatic. There's like, you know, eat your fruits and veggies. Yeah. Um, like the the whole food pyramid thing. And I, I can't tell you how many times when I've worked with people. Firstly, when I remind them that fruits are treats and it's sugar and it's dessert, uh, they want to, you know, strangle me. I think they don't understand what I'm talking about. They're like, no, no, no. Like we never learned this in school. Um, (laughs) But when they start actually trusting in the process and committing to reducing the amount of fruits in their diet, that that actually often causes a huge shift. Um, Where I live, there's a really, really big, big, big um, plant-based scene, which is great. Like no, no judgment. I teach a plant-based class actually at a cooking school in town. I also teach a paleo class, <laughs> so, you know, I just really don't like to discriminate. Wait, um, but, wait, 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 what kind of class is it? So I teach at our local cooking school, and I teach a number of different wellness classes, like one, some are healthy blood sugar, some are reducing inflammation, um, one is just like, it's called a primal palate, it's like a more of a primal okay. based paleo class, but I, I also teach a purely plant-based class, and oh, we do plant-based, plant-based cooking. got it, okay, cool. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> are you are you yeah are you hey, I eat a lot of vegetables and I think that that's actually a missing piece of the puzzle and a lot of more um primarily focused diets uh yeah it, it, it's not an us or them it's let's there's a lot of similar philosophies it's just you know maybe shifting some of the protein sources a little bit um and and in my personal life that's a little more swayed towards the meat for sure like sure. I don't eat legumes personally just just a fun fact. Um, I don't know what I was, where I was going with this. No, no, it's okay. It was, uh, uh, you're there's a huge juicing culture in the uh, city I live in and okay. the province I live in. There is a juicery place on every single corner. Mm. And there's a lot of people doing crazy juice cleanses. 
uh, drinking, you know, their body weight and sugary, sugary juices all day long. And it's, uh, it's challenging. It's challenging to shift that mentality and um, remind people that, you know, that might not be the healthiest approach for them. Yeah, especially because it does taste so good. I kind of see this with kombucha a lot too. As much as I love kombucha in moderation, it's very easy to kind of be like, oh, kombucha is incredible for you. And the reason it tastes so amazing is because it still has, you know, there's especially bottled conventional kombucha, it's going to have a lot of sugar. So your body's going to just really crave, crave that just like it would juice, even though there's some great components to it, anything commercialized or anything (laughs) marketed is going to tend to have a lot more sugar than is even labeled. So yeah, absolutely. It's the sweet, the sweet nectar of life. (laughs) I know we are, we are born addicted to it. That's for sure. Well, you keep mentioning this mindfulness and for you, um, what are some really good takeaways for people to help help them start developing the practice of mindfulness. You know, like for me, when I think of being mindful when I eat, I think of, okay, I'm being aware of how I'm chewing and I'm being aware of when to stop because I tend to not have a really good filter. Like if something is delicious, I will eat until I am just so full that it's like not even like I'm just it, I'm just not one of those people that can like have one bite of chocolate. It's like, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to have like the massive family size chocolate bar. And that's why I just tend to just restrict so much because I'm, t- I'm like, I would rather not even look at that because I know how I am. Um, so for somebody that, you know, if, for just addressing mindfulness and helping people find that balance, what's some really good tips or good takeaways that you've seen some results with, with your clients? I have to say though, that is a really good reminder that for a lot of people, everything in moderation does not work. That kind of, <laughs> that kind of, you know, sentence that is slapped on a bunch of health brochures. No, everything in moderation does not work for some people. Yeah. Um, especially women. Women are and you know, I am all for male and female equality, but I also think that has to come with an understanding that physiologically our bodies are just very different. And um and women in particular have a much harder time um you know or, or our bodies are not designed to to feel satiated as quickly. Um, our bodies are really designed to put on fat and hold that fat because that's so integral. It used to be at least um, for the survival of our children and mm. the fetuses that we are carrying and for breastfeeding and all the things that our bodies are, are designed to do. And by no means am I saying that women need to have children, but you can't ignore that that's what our bodies are designed to do. So for a lot of my female clients really, um, having certain foods that they just can't have in their kitchen is really helpful for a period of time. So, you know, just a little side note, the cleanse, the the cabinet cleanse. Exactly. Yes. (laughs) Oh yes. I do a lot of those and it's very emotional. There are often lots of tears shed. And then I'm like, this is just a sign that your adrenals are a little funky. (laughs) They want to like throw their like jars of sugary peanut butter at me. (laughs) (laughs) I do love Um, me. I do love me some peanut butter. Oh my gosh. (laughs) That is food that I cannot have in my house. (laughs) I get so frustrated at my husband when he like brings home a jar of peanut butter. I'm like, get this out of my sight. (laughs) You know, I haven't found a lot of balance with that yet. It's okay. (laughs) There is is no balance with peanut butter in my life. (laughs) 
isn't that interesting information though, that there are some foods that every, most people are like uncontrollably drawn to. And it makes me very like, I'm like very, I'm like, what is going on with this food? Like I'm very like suspectful. I, like, well, I, I have a theory actually on my peanut butter. So, um, well, one, I think it's this emotional connection as a kid, peanut butter and jelly is like almost always a staple. But for me, especially because my mom, who is most likely listening to this, um, she's like so really good with food. She helped me grow up with like always having vegetables, whatever it was, there was always something green, but she's highly allergic to peanuts. And so I developed this like good, bad relationship with peanuts where as when she wasn't in the house or if she wasn't home, I would just like try to eat it as fast as possible so that I would wash the dishes and that she, like I had to wash the dishes four times and making sure that she never had it. And then when I went to other people's houses and had peanut butter, it was like this amazing like treat that I never rarely got to have. And so I still have that connection. Like that's like the one food that for me, if it's put in front of me, it's like such a delicacy. So that's where my peanut butter connection <laughs> Uh, the mental emotional connections <laughs> we have with food it is it is it is real it's so real. real the physiological draw to certain foods and also the mental emotional side and um to finally answer your question um, <laughs> i think that that's a big part of mindfulness is really understanding that the mental emotional and the physiological are are inextricably connected you, you cannot separate the two um so i really encourage people to approach everything in their wellness goals with that, with that, with that spirit. So when we sit down for a meal, you're going to want to be in a calm and relaxed space, right? Yeah. You're going to want to be in that parasympathetic mode. You want to um, be taking deep breaths. You want to be, you know, using potentially um, an oil or something that switches you into parasympathetic mode. But also, I think equally as important um, is sitting and actually appreciating the food that's in front of you. Um, in a lot of cultures for hundreds of thousands of years, there's been uh, a tradition of saying grace, um, either before or after your meal or, or both. Um, and that looks very different to a lot of different cultures and traditions. Um, but I think the idea of actually taking a pause and remembering that the food you're about to eat came from somewhere mm -hmm. and someone is, is not just important for, um, our conscientiousness and our understanding of the food system, but also it simultaneously has this physiological effect where it allows our body to further slip into that parasympathetic mode. So I, I really encourage people to never separate the two, the mind, the body, uh, they're one. And the more we can understand how food serves us, but also understand where it comes from and appreciate um, the incredible bodies that we're given, I think that actually will have um, incredible effects on people's um, mood and energy, weight balance, um, athletic performance goals. The more we, we connect those dots, we'll see the results. Absolutely. I love what, so this is something so key and I hope, especially as summer is approaching, I hope more and more people get into this, but you know, think about, well, I guess the first thing is, I don't know if you saw, there's this really great Epic video. So Epic bar, they, um, you know how great they are about sourcing and where they get the meat and how they package and 
just trying to save the environment with sustainable meat practices. And they posted this really emotional, for me, it was kind of emotional of their bison and how, you know, we kind of assume in our culture that all bison are grass fed. And that's just not the case, especially as popularity of grass fed or not grass fed, but bison increases. And there's this video of them, you know, going out and shooting the bison and having this ceremony. And there's these people that when they do source bison, they, the bison kind of like surround the animal and long story, but basically like there's a moment in traditional, whether it's, um, Afro, like native, native American culture, or whether it's just wild West culture where you have to appreciate this death leaving us or this life leaving us and Epic, this video, it like really captured it. And it just made me think so much more. Like if I was the one that shot this animal and then processed it and took it and then ate it, how much more connection I would have with the food I ate. And so I'm trying to, you know, I'm obviously not, I don't want to be a hunter. I think it's like something real. I'm a diehard animal lover. And I think eventually maybe I should have that experience at least once in my life, but I don't want that right now. And so I have to think of the food I'm eating, especially proteins. Like when I eat this, I have to think of that as something that I did myself. And I think with gardening, people do that more often. Like when you garden, you are so much more proud of the salad that you put together and you're so much more, you, you know, the work that went into it, you know, the time and you know, the process. And we live in a world that everything's too quick. It's all fast and it's all reproduced and replicated in a way that we have no connection to it. And so whatever you eat, whether it is something you gardened or something that you got from a store, try to like understand the story of it. Try to like think about where it came from and the animal that it used to be and try, I don't know. I think that's really helped me. And it's so important to talk about. I think that's such a great point. We're the only culture, whether you're religious or not, that we don't really sit and just say, I am like so grateful for this and how it got from wherever it was to right here on my plate. Oh, preach. Yes. (laughs) That's that's so, so true. And, you know, we do kind of live these robot-esque um, automatic lifestyles where we just get our food and we eat the same thing. I mean, I'm constantly trying to encourage people to, um, to obviously, you know, get their hands in the soil, whether it's if they have access to their own garden or community garden, or even just visiting a farm in your local community can be life thinking for a lot of people. Um, but it, you know, it helps reduce waste because if you had to pick those plants yourself and wash them and prepare them, or if you were you know, hunting that animal yourself, you're going to eat as much as you possibly can of that. You're not going to let it go to waste. And (laughs) one of the biggest issues I see, um, especially with, um, you know, the meat sphere is that we eat just parts of the animal a lot. We'll just have, you know, the T-bone or the chicken breast. And if you think about that, if you have three chicken breasts, you know, one at one at lunch and a couple for dinner, whatever, that was, two or three chickens right there. Like where did the rest of that chicken go? And I think if we, we remember to not detach the part from the whole, um, that can be a really important practice for sustainability and understanding of our food system. But once again, like I really truly believe that it comes back to physiological, um, breakdown that we're actually going to better absorb those nutrients. If we have an appreciation and a conscientiousness about the sourcing. And like you said, the story, which I love, I love that word, obviously as a journalist, I'm like, I'm all about the story. So that's, that's amazing. And I think that's a really important approach um, or, or tool that we, we have for, for 
gaining greater wellness and not just for our bodies, but the earth. Cause if, if our earth is sick, our food's going to be sick and then our bodies are going to be sick and you know, all's going to, all's going to turn to shit. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah. And I think that's good that you're connect, you connect that piece of that, that even just being more grateful will help you digest more. Cause we, you know, the only way we, that humans innately are motivated to do something as if there's a direct outcome. So I think that's a way to like make it more, you know, like, of course it's good to be grateful. And of course it's good to be appreciative, but always having a why. And I think that's so awesome that you articulated that so well, like at the end of the day, if we're looking at adrenal stress or digestive stress or adrenal stress caused by digestive stress, what can we do to make that better? And the first and foremost thing is learning how to be in a parasympathetic state. And we, it not only helps break down our food more, but it helps us calm the fuck down when it comes to our adrenals. And so, <laughs> so I think that's a great way to bring that full circle and help people like just be more motivated to do it. I think that's awesome. Um, really good point. I think that's, I just, I think I sometimes lose that. We're just so busy that we just allow ourselves to be so busy that we don't even have time to be grateful. Isn't that so crazy in first world to say? Also another word that I, I think that is really glorified and, and, and especially someone like you, you, you do, you have a very full schedule and I know I do as well, but, um, busyness and stress are really, um, celebrated and glorified and, um, you know, I think that when we can start recognizing that having time and having space for mindfulness and for slowing things down is actually something to be celebrated, I think that's when the patterns will shift mm -hmm. and we'll start making those connections that are so integral to our wellness goals. Yeah, I love it. Oh, that's great. Um, for you, uh, with your sourcing, do you, I, you know, that reminded me, I need to do a co-op. Have you ever done a co-op? Oh, like gone and worked on a farm? Well, so my mom used to do a co-op where they basically like if you couldn't, if you didn't have access to a garden, this it's like a CSA, like they would basically deliver to you or you would go to somewhere really close to your house. Like Denver has so many different co-ops. So maybe I should like connect, maybe get some sourcing for websites that tell you where your local CSA is or co-op is. Because I do know it, it is like... God, I wish part of me wants like in my next life to just be a full-time gardener. I like want so badly to have the patience and the time to be able to just do nothing but garden because I'm so into it. But I just always, the amount I travel, I would kill everything. <laughs> um, so for me, I'm like, okay, how can I integrate these concepts without getting a gun and going, going and shooting a, a bison, which... <laughs> so crazy to even think about myself doing. I don't think that'll ever, ever happen. Um, but, and then also gardening, how can I get access or at least appreciate more the connection with food and CSA? There's like always some sort of way you can always go visit the farm and then once a month or twice a month, you can go pick up a box of vegetables and it's all rotational and it's tons of variety. Cause that's another thing. Like, I don't know how I'm terrible at variety. Like I stick with three vegetables and it just is like, I get in this theme of like, okay, this is easy to cook and this is easy to eat and this is easy to buy. And this is, this is my salad, my veggies on the side. And I'm just kind of checking the box like, oh, I got vegetables, but like you can kind of probably address this as well. But like the variety of how many, like, wasn't it like we used to eat like 400 different varieties of vegetables. I don't even know the number. I totally made that up. And now we eat less than 20. 
like the amount of food that we used to eat versus what we eat today. It's just insane. Like how limited our palate is. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And I mean, part of it was we used to have to eat seasonally. So we had to eat what was available to us. We didn't have the transportation um, perks that we have now. So we would eat what was available on the land in that season. And we would plant as much as we could and hope that we could get as much out of it as possible. So we would not be able to have, you know, apples all year round or a yam all year round. In a lot of places, they wouldn't have either of those foods anyways. So I think a lot of it is, you know, we used to be a lot more tied to the land and forced to eat what the land provided and what was around it and be experimental because some stuff just wasn't growing. So, right, that's when you venture into the woods and you start picking some things and you start trusting your innate intelligence and, you know, hoping that it's not poisonous. And, uh, and I think that was, you know, probably at the time, like, I mean, we kind of look back, um, especially in like more primal discussions of this, like, you know, beautiful era when we were so in touch with our bodies and the earth. And I bet at the time it was pretty, it pretty like it sucked for people. They probably were stressed and like, it was really, um, you know, really scary when there was a famine, but, um, we can learn from that and apply mm-hmm. that to our modern condition in that, you know, eating seasonally, eating as locally as you possibly can. Um, I'm often, I'm a big, big fan of eating what's on sale. Cause usually, um, if you live in a city that has, um, a really great local market kind of scene, the things that will be on sale will generally be the things that are local and in season because they have an abundance of them. Ah. And if it's something you've never heard of, um, or you've never experimented with, that's a perfect opportunity. It's going to be a bit cheaper. There's going to be a lot of it. Um, and you might, and your body will get access to a whole new nutrient profile. Once again, coming back to the kind of, you know, payoff benefit, um, it's going to give you more nutrients than you had before. And of course, if the soil is more fertile, if that plant or food is traveling less distance, it's going to be more nutrient dense. It's going to give your body bigger, you know, bang for its buck. So that's a a really big um, encouragement for people, especially athletes that are all about, you know, burning through their nutrients and their intense exercise, your body's going to really want as as much nutrient density as it possibly can from the foods it's eating. For sure. And I think it's so fascinating when you think of how fast, like when we're in higher stress and then we are, you know, putting ourselves through more stress, like a workout, we burn through more magnesium, we burn through more zinc. And then when you look at how can we replenish those naturally, it comes from food from the earth, those minerals from the earth, which is our dark leafy greens. Totally. And I mean, the the food conversation about our food system and sustainability is convoluted and scary. Um, And of course, supplementation is necessary and needed in many circumstances. But if we can get it from our local environment, if we can get it from the earth, if we can um, practice being in that parasympathetic mode so that we can digest the food properly, um, these are all ways that our body knows how to heal itself and knows how to thrive. We're just giving it those tools that it's already seeking. For sure. And, you know, obviously this isn't a one size fits all, but I actually was going to ask this before um, we wrapped up. I I would love to know, are there supplements that you just really, really love for yourself that, you know, whether it's, of course, we all believe in bio-individuality and knowing what, you know, it's not all a blanket statement or black and white, but as far as supplements that you feel like have been really key for some of your clients, are there ones that you really love for yourself? Um, what are you, what are your thoughts on some supplements? I just love hearing people's supplement talk. Oh yeah. 
Well, um, I think this is a common theme, <laughs> but I'm a big fan of the vital proteins, collagen peptides. Um, the why is that I think that humans used to eat a lot more um, foods that had, like we, we used to have a lot more broths and bones and connective tissue um, and marrow and things like that in our diet. And I think it's, it's a lost um, dietary art. Mm. So it is nice that in, and those are foods that take a lot of preparation and time. I totally get it. Not everybody has 12 hours a day to be like slow simmering, like bone marrow. <laughs> um, the collagen peptides, you get the, the collagen, which is so reparative. Um, and the peptides, which are the um, amino acids, the building blocks of our tissue and our body. Um, so it's an incredibly useful tool um, for people that are athletic, that are constantly um, breaking down their fibers in their body, but also people that are dealing with digestive issues. Um, it helps heal and seal the gut. Um, and for people that have skin considerations, uh, it's a really multi-spectrum, gentle uh, thing that people can take that that really has, in, I, I've not actually come across any ramifications or um, harmful side effects. And it's so easy to integrate. I mean, you throw it in your warm beverages or your soups or you can bake with it. I, I from what I hear, it's quite um, heat stable so that you can actually use it in your cooking, which is great. Yeah, that's a um, win win yeah. for sure. <laughs> right? Yeah. A little powder thrown in things. And by the um, just just yeah. a really quick plug for you. So you're at just before I forget, your recipes look so bomb on your on your oh. blog. <laughs> You. Well I done. cook a lot actually which leads me to my next supplement suggestion unfortunately I um am constantly getting demands to make treats like uh, yeah. healthy treats um and being a chef I cook a lot and I do one thing that is so bad is that I constantly taste while I'm cooking Mm. This is not good for your digestion. This is not good for your blood sugar. So I definitely have in a steady rotation blood sugar supportive um, nutrients. I really like glucobalance biotics. Mm. Um, I have a lot of success with that. I mean, I obviously test it. I like you. I do testing. Um, I've tested that on my clients, and it's a lot of them respond very well to that. Mm-hmm. Um, either that or um, in the same company, ADHS. It's an adrenal supportive multinutrient. Um, both can be really blood sugar supportive. Um, and I, I use that, um, the, the Mio Energetics vagal tone cause I am constantly in sympathetic mode. Yep. Um, but <laughs> sometimes I, I really feel like I need a little bit of help and I know this is a bit taboo, but I often take HCL and digestive enzymes before a meal, especially if I've been doing a lot of cooking and I just know it's going to be really hard for my body to slip into that calm and relaxed state. Um, I'll, I'll pop some HCL and enzymes and yeah, well, I don't think it's, tab- I don't think it's taboo at all. I think it's so cool that we have that ability to have that kind of support. Like for me, I just got back from Copenhagen in Germany and there's like, you know, dairy and everything. <laughs> and I think it's, I, I refuse to be stressed out about the fact that my body hasn't had dairy in a long time. And I was like, oh my God, I can't, I don't want my face to break out. I have some photo, like there was just so much going through my head. And I was like able to, with some support, whether it was placebo or not, was able to just like let go of this kind of 
wrapped upness that we can get in foods that are going to make us feel bad. And so like for me, if taking a digestive support, whether it's HCL or stomach acid or digestive enzymes will somehow keep me more calm and not be worrying about the side effects of that food, then I already put myself in less of a stress state to begin with. Absolutely. That is such a good point. I am on that note, a big, big fan of people taking uh, that combination of nutrients with them when they travel. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, travel is fun and exciting, but sometimes it is really hard to train your body to slip into that calm and relaxed state when you're on the go and you're eating foods that you're not used to. So yes, thank you for no, no, no. <laughs> yeah. taking my HCL. <laughs> I love, I love digestive support for sure. Um, well, I feel like this is uh, you. These are great points. I'm so glad we finally got to connect and that we randomly sat next to each other at the NTA dinner table, whatever we did a few months ago. Cause I just, I know that this is going to be really helpful for a lot of people. You are at wholehappy.com and right. is that your Instagram as well? My Instagram is actually my name, Ellie short with two T's. Um, but all that information is, is linked on my website anyways. So okay. easy to find. Awesome. And then my final question for you, which I ask all my, all my guests is, do you, do you have a spirit animal? Oh, <laughs> this is a tough question. Um, you know what I have to say? Okay. I, I have, a, I have a funny answer and then a real answer. People always <laughs> told me that I look kind of like a meerkat. I don't know about the, um, uh, insult or a compliment, but you know, oh, I love that. Wise, maybe a meerkat, but they're a little like crazy and like definitely seem like they're in perma sympathetic mode. So I think I'm gonna, <laughs> I think I'm gonna answer more um, energetically. Um, I'm really drawn to foxes. I actually have a dog that looks a lot like a fox, and maybe because I'm a dork and I'm in love with my dog, I started learning a lot more about foxes. They're incredibly smart and resourceful animals and I think that um, one thing that I'm constantly striving to do is to make the most of any situation uh, that's handed to me and I think that foxes are very good at, at creating um, a beneficial environment wherever they are so I'd say maybe <laughs> I love maybe it I love it um I just walked down because I finally got my animal spirit animal book and I was so annoyed because I like have asked so many people this question and then I don't even look it up in the book and like read it so I have this amazing book that has like all the all the animals and then a description um so I'm gonna read you meerkat and I'm gonna read you fox <laughs> Are you, um, and I think sometimes I think the requirement is you could totally be up to two spirit animals. So you might be a mix of the two, but who knows? So meerkat, um, oh man, this might be you. You are a very grounded individual with a strong connection to mother earth, which is kind of what we just talked about for a while. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, you're at your best when you're surrounded by close family members or friends you love to network with others and stay consistently involved and in contact with those you connect with. You're intelligent, able to learn things, and assimilate information very quickly. Ooh. Ellie, that might be you. You might I'll take it. You might be a fox. Um, okay, so fox, uh, are you a night person? That's a hard question to answer because I used to work in nightclubs for a long time, so I had to train that into <laughs> myself, but I think... I think I'm my healthiest when I have a good night's sleep. So 
All right. Well, foxes are night night people who are very creative at night while you while others sleep. Um, you're an excellent parent or parental figure, and you can surprise everyone by coming up with obscure yet creative solutions to problems. Oh wow! Mm. So there's your meerkat and fox. You might be a little bit of both. Well, thanks. <laughs> Take it. It was so nice to talk to you, Ellie. I'm really glad that we made this work. And um, everyone go check out her her cute website and her great Instagram. Lots of recipes, lots of fun facts, and all of what we talked about if you want more. Yay. Thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome. <laughs>